Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. We'll hear more today from the inspirational life of Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, the black farmer. Because you want to change things doesn't mean you can't celebrate traditions. It's about sort of evolving. You're not going to really evolve unless you are able to attract people from diverse backgrounds to be part of rural Britain. I mean, part of rural Britain is also celebrating those um, traditions. Crop doctor Sean Sparling's back with the crop report and some timely agronomy advice, and we'll take a look at polysulfate. 97% of UK soils from their data are showing uh, deficiency or non-existent levels of sulfur. What we found with the polysulfate, because we're putting in there and, and it's releasing slowly, we, we're getting more into the plant. Plus the market reports and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. And talking of weather, we've had a bit of rain, but the summer's hot, dry weather is still causing problems. There's some help been announced for livestock farmers by DEFRA in the last few days. And to tell us about it, good morning to NFU Deputy President David Exwood. David, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, We've talked on the programme recently an awful lot about the hot, dry weather fire risk, low moisture content in crops and so on. But we're talking about something a little bit different now. The drought conditions that have affected the UK all over are having an effect on animals and animal feed and so on, aren't they? Absolutely. Look, the extreme dry weather for months and months through the spring and summer have led to some serious crop shortages and lack of grass and fodder, winter fodder for many, many livestock farmers right across the country. So what problems in practical terms is the dry weather causing now? So you've got lack of grazing, so lack of grazing available. And even though we've had some rain, you know, the, the problems still go on. There's a lack of grazing right now, but also to supplement that, people have been using winter fodder, so hay, silage, forage stocks that they had planned for the winter, uh, they've been using now to feed that, so they've depleted the winter stocks. And also many catch cover crops, uh, again, so turn it to some of the things they might have planted to uh, help the autumn gap or to help with uh, the winter feed. They, they haven't been able to establish properly as well. So there's many ways around, but essentially we're going into the autumn and winter with not the food we would normally expect to have. And what's the announcement that DEFRA has made recently with some support? So following some energy lobbying, we're really pleased that they've recognised the sort of extreme situation that many livestock farmers are facing. So they've allowed some temporary adjustments on countryside stewardship schemes from the 17th of August, so from now until the end of the year, basically that people can use their stewardship to provide some uh, forage and fodder for uh, for their animals. And is this going to be enough? Look, it's a really sensible options. Uh, it's a really obvious thing to do. You know, if you're a farmer and you've got brown fields and no grass, and then you've got a stewardship, a boundary strip or a buffer strip, or you've got a two-year legume fallow and sat there with and you can't touch it, that's frustrating. You know, in actual, the impact on the stewardship is minimal. And this is a really sensible approach, a practical approach to uh, a serious situation. So, yes, it will help. It's not going to make a complete difference, but it's recognising and being helpful where it can. It's a step in the right direction. It's exactly that. It's a step in the right direction. It's flexibility. And that's what we want from government. We want partnership and flexibility where circumstances change. You know, that's, you know, we have to have rules. We understand that. But it's flexibility to make the most of the situation. It's, it's, it's working together, which is what everybody wants. So if somebody wants to take advantage of this derogation, what do they need to do? So first thing to do, go on the RPO website, look at the rules, check out the fine detail. There is a temporary adjustment form you need to do. It's not difficult or complicated. 
but you do need to do that rather than just go ahead and graze your uh, your legging fellas or whatever. So please check out the RPA website, follow the instructions and the guidelines there. All right, David. David Exwood, Deputy President of the NFU. Many thanks again. Thank you. CF Fertilisers is to temporarily halt ammonia production at its Billingham site due to high gas prices. Instead, it's going to import ammonia so that it can continue making ammonium nitrate and fulfil all ammonia contracts and orders of AN contracted for delivery in the coming months. DEFRA has announced a new round of funding for agri-tech projects. Applications for these two new funding competitions, which are run in partnership with the UK Research and Innovation, will open this Wednesday, 31st of August. For more information, visit farminginnovation.ukri.org. Spring hay yields in southern England have already reduced by more than a third due to climate change and further declines are forecast. This is according to a new analysis by Rothamsted Research and the University of Reading, which revealed a 35% reduction over the last century and a likely 20-50% to further reduction over the next 60 years. The model confirmed that this is mostly down to warmer and drier autumns and winters and the optimum spring weather is colder and wetter than the conditions being seen now and those expected in the future. And congratulations to Lizzie Wilson, who's been appointed as Chief Executive of the National Pig Association, replacing Zoe Davis, who took up a new role with the NFU this month. And I'm delighted to say that Lizzie will be joining us on the farming programme next Sunday. Do you know that, like dogs are not just for Christmas, sulphur isn't just for spring? ICL have conducted trials that show polysulfate applied in the autumn can help. Why and how? Here's ICL's Head of Agronomy for the UK and Ireland, Scott Garnett. Scott, firstly, what is polysulfate? Polysulfate is a mineral that we mine up at um, the old Cleveland Potash or ICL Bulby Mine uh, in North Yorkshire. It's basically a single crystal that contains four nutrients, so potassium, magnesium, calcium and sulphur. It also has uh, two water molecules in there. The sulfur comes in at 48%, potassium 14%, magnesium 6%, and the calcium comes in at 17%. Because it's a rock that we're mining, it actually releases its nutrients over a longer period of time. The work that we did at Nottingham University with a PhD student was that we found that the sulfur release from polysulfate is over 50, 60 days which really stops the opportunity or reduces the opportunity of the product leaching and being lost from the crop. Okay, so it's a natural product, it's mined rather than produced. And apart from it releasing its goodness over a period of time, what, what else is good about it? It's having all four nutrients together. Landcropper put a paper out a couple of years ago looking at uh, sulfur deposits in UK soils and 97% of UK soils from their data are showing uh, deficiency or non-existent levels of sulfur. What we found with the polysulfate, because we're putting in there and and it's releasing slowly, we're getting more into the plant. So we're actually getting a, a higher nitrogen use efficiency as well. So some of our customers, people like Agri and Frontier and, and others, have, have been doing some work on nitrogen use efficiency, and they've found when they've used polysulfate that they get more nitrogen in their crop. So they've raised it from 60% plus to 80 90% plus that we're actually seeing on the research trials. But what you do find from polysulfate, it's not just the sulfur. So the calcium and the magnesium in the product make a real big difference in establishment of crops. So we've been doing a lot of work over the last few years looking at winter applications of sulfur. And we found that the calcium and the magnesium we put in there have increased root mass by 30 40%, and we've actually seen that 
that correlation as well with phosphate. So as we get a greater root mass, we actually get a greater, a greater levels of phosphate in the crop. Obviously, the more roots are touching more soils. And then potassium, as you said, you know, is, a, is really important for, for all crops, you know, on any, any crop that's yielding. It's, um, and so it can actually be, so when you use polysulfate, you can take those calculations of those nutrients, those extra nutrients in there, and you can remove your, you can reduce your um, potassium chloride or your potash um, applications uh, accordingly. Okay, so but you we, mentioned then about winter applications. Is that the only time it's applied or can it be applied any time? No, it can be applied any time at all. So because it releases its nutrients over 50 days, there was, a, there was a, um, a concern a few years ago that if you put it later in the crop development in the spring, because basically most of the sulfur is used in spring for the production of oils, proteins, and dry matter. Um, and it's a standard application to use an NS product. But we had some concerns very early on with polysulfate because it's a rock that would it release enough sulfur. But the PhD student that we use at Nottingham, or we work with at Nottingham University, sorry, basically found that 60% of the sulfur in polysulfate is released in the first 12 days. So it, it really does meet the crop's requirements. We've tried the product in, in drought conditions on, on the south coast. Um, we found that the, the, the sulfur levels, are, even in drought conditions, we're actually seeing the, those, those levels going up in the plant and, and they're meeting the, the requirements of the crop. And where could yeah. we go for more information about the product, Scott? So we have a website called polysulfate.com. Most distributors in the UK, the, 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 the people that work closely with the farmers, the agronomy groups, um, have information or, or you know, that um, actually selling the products to farmers or, or, or putting it into their blend. So it's, uh, it's widely available. Okay. Everywhere. So talk to your agronomist or have a look online. Scott Garnett, Head of Agronomy in UK and Ireland for ICL. Thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thank you very much and have a great Sunday, everybody. Time to welcome back our independent crop consultant, Sean Sparling, with an update from the fields and some timely agronomy advice. Morning, Sean. Interesting stuff, this polysulfate. Yes, good morning, Steve. Good to be back. Yeah, I mean, we at AICC, along with many other organisations, have been looking at polysulfate over the last few seasons. And as they just said, it's a source of potash, magnesium, sulphur, calcium. It's mined here in the UK, so very good from a net zero perspective. And of course, it's come at quite a pivotal time for UK agriculture with what's going on in the rest of the world and our now hugely compromised access to some of our other sources, the the ones we've relied on for so long, of potash in particular. Canada. Russia, Belarus and China, they account for over 80% of the world's potash production. Now clearly Russia's actions have compromised our access and the rest of the world's access to their potash. Mr Lukashenko of course in Belarus, similarly a problem. So polysulfate that's mined here in the UK and with more and more work going on behind it every season it seems a very useful and a timely addition to the very limited sources of potash that we now find ourselves with. All I would say is that cost and value are two very di- two very different things my dad always used to say knowing the cost of everything the value of nothing is an idiot's game so you need to do the sums you need to base it all upon the physical availability of the product itself can you actually get hold of it then you need to calculate the suitability for you based on nutrient content the availability of that nutrient to the plant the solubility the longevity in the soil the speed of release etc so 
speak to your fact qualified advisor and Bob's your uncle away you go certainly going to be vital to keep putting potash on our fields in one form or another you know you can't keep taking potash away and not replace it if you consider that a four ton to the acre crop a week takes away about 100 kilos per hectare of potash in the grain of straw about 50 55 kilos of that in the grain alone but the growing crop can contain up to about 300 kilos of potash and that has to be taken up from somewhere and that somewhere is the soil so that's why we need to try and maintain soil indices of two or higher just to accommodate that crop requirement and once you start to cut back on potash it's not long before the removal of grain of horn and roots and straw from cereals and all the other crops as well silage of course multiple cuts it's all taking potash off the field and that will soon impact on the following growing crops so you start to get shriveled grain and poor finish it's essential for fruit production that happens first and then it just gets worse and worse and worse so what i'm saying is what we all need to do is embrace all of the alternatives available to us but we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket there's no right or wrong in all of this until of course you get it wrong so let's move on to agronomy then that rain around the 16th was very very localized i took 86 millimeters in just 14 hours at home there was only around 25 mil at lincoln 185 mil plus out whole beach way washed all the soil off the potato ridges and some people got absolutely nothing so as far as all seed rate goes if it's already in the ground hopefully you got some rain before you put it in or you got some shortly afterwards if it did then it's got everything it needs you've got warm soils with a bit of damp in them we've still got good warm long days plenty of sunshine and i'm getting rape up and through the ground within five days of drilling now now clearly cabbage stem flea beetle is going to be high on the radar as it should always be unless you find them unless they're there don't spray them don't just go out for the sake of doing it you'll damage the predators and i think by now most of us believe that pyrethroids do very little to reassure us that they can actually control cabbage stem flea beetle anyway so getting that all seed rape in the ground up and away is still the absolute key to success that drop of rain on thursday as well will certainly help in that cause so plenty of products out there by the way antifeedant smelly sticky mucky and mysterious products out there for you to try for cabbage stem flea beetle control i know an awful lot of people who've tried most of them with very little success so keep your fingers crossed that will probably do as much good and i think a longer stubble has probably done me far more good than anything else in the past hopefully we keep our fingers crossed it's not going to be too bad a year in that really bad year of 2019 if you think back the cabbage stem flea beetle activity peaked around that first week of september so there is time for them to hit hard yet but so far so good very little damage to report this part of the world anyway it's a bit worse down hampshire way volunteer barley in particular seems to be finding plenty of moisture absolutely romping away so you need to take these volunteers out as soon as that oilseed rape gets one true leaf on it to minimize the competition not just from a shading point of view but also of course from a sucking any bit of moisture out of these seed beds dry point of view so a squirt of proper quizzophop out there will do the trick for you and whatever you do don't forget about the slugs i know in some places it's dry i know underneath these seed beds are dry but slugs absolutely decimated some of these crops last autumn taking plants out before they actually emerged in some cases so slow growing all seed rate thin all seed rate hot dry seed beds it's a recipe for disaster so get your traps out and constant monitoring of slugs and don't assume anything first fungicides going on the now if they haven't already gone on the first signs of rust starting to show bit of mildew out there very little sacospora but 
Of course, we do now have Caligula for when that Socospora does set off. We've had the warm weather, but you need moisture with it and humidity. Well, we've certainly got that now, so it may well move. A bit of damp weather, that'll shift the Socospora, but we do have a tool that'll help. We'll talk about harvest results next week. Suffice to say, pretty good in general regarding cereals. Winter wheat, winter barley, spring barley, very, very good, surprisingly. Spring oats, spring wheat, a bit more variable. Peas poor, vining peas were all over the place. That's never a good sign for harvest in general, really but combining peas very small three to a pod rather than five so lower yield bit of pea moth out there as well spring beans much smaller beans two or three to a pod rather than four or five so again lower yield bit of brookid but very localized winter beans much much better in terms of yield but as always there's some real head scratchers out there which make absolutely no sense good looking fields which just haven't yielded soil type soil structure whether you've got a drop of rain when you needed it or whether you missed it let's talk about that next week but we got out out of that drought far better than any of us could ever have expected and some people are having the harvest of a lifetime so on that bombshell let's see what the next seven days bring thank you sean great to have you back more agronomy advice from sean sparling next and every week on the farming program the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook industrial estate grantham supplying the region for over 40 years Time to continue the story of the black farmer, Wilfred Emmanuel Jones. If you missed part one, it's available on the website or app on Catch Up. Just click the farming programme or ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme from the 21st of August. Part two now, we move on to the future of farming. Because you're certainly very keen on the future of farming and adapting to technology. And he's saying really that that's not going to move forward in any kind of speed or with any kind of speed without some new ideas and some new blood yeah so there's a lot that you know we're fantastic at new new technology but you can't just get by with just new technology it's about new ideas new things to grow new ways of breeding things that is what we also need to be looking at and that is not going to come about with the same old traditional people who are um still there you need to have new blood We need new blood. We need more diversity. You're very keen on promoting that, and quite rightly. You're also quite keen on helping out farmers who are struggling, fallen on hard times, disadvantaged backgrounds, aren't you? Exactly. I mean, I think one of the problems we have in this country is this massive divide between urban and rural Britain. It's as though you're going into a different country when you go into some parts of of rural Britain, And what we need to do in the farming community is to recognize that we need to get urban Britain on side. And urban Britain is not going to get on side until they have a greater understanding of what it's like to be a farmer. And that um, people think that farming is a, a, a pretty glamorous profession to be in, but it's hard work. And we need urban Britain on side in order for us to succeed uh, because the consumer are the ones that dictate what um, is grown, what what is consumed. And we as farmers need to know we have to do a lot more in understanding what are their needs, how do we meet those needs, rather than stay in the background. And one of the reasons why we stayed in the background is because farmers have never had to have a relationship with the consumer. The supermarkets are now the gatekeepers to that relationship. And I'm saying the future about marketing and marketing is about understanding your consumer getting to the get under their skin to find out what they want and if you are prepared to do that you will then get the consumer on side 
why are we having this interview now? Well, we're having this interview because there is some awareness and some recognition about my brand, The Black Farmer. And that's only come about because I see the importance of marketing. A lot of people think marketing is a dirty word, especially in our industry. There's a belief that all they need to do is to grow it, do it, and people will come. It doesn't work like that. We have to go out. We have to reach out to them to get them to engage in us because they have choices where they can get their produce elsewhere. Wilfred, you're a very uh, inspiring and engaging speaker, and one of your passions is also education. And it's those three things, really, that led to you being announced as a governor of the uh, Royal Agricultural University and being awarded an MBE for services to British farming. It was great to get an MBE, and it's something that I'm I'm grateful for. And I recognise that I'm, I'm in a very privileged position to go out and really talk about what we need to do in terms of bringing about change. And that's one of the reasons I was quite keen to become a governor of Sirencester Agricultural University, because that is a university that traditionally got its students from traditional backgrounds. Landed gentry tend to send their um, kids to that university. And that is not going to be helpful for the future. What that university needs to be able to do is to demonstrate that is actually getting students from um, a much um, wider uh, area rather than just a very niche area. Now, one of the things that I've just um, done is that I've launched um, something called the New Face of Farming. And that initiative is to um, try and get 16 to 18-year-olds from non-traditional farming backgrounds to go and spend a weekend at Russell College to experience living and working in rural Britain. If they like it, they could then decide to apply to um, the agricultural colleges um, for the courses. And what I would like is that every single agricultural college or agricultural university in the country runs schemes like that, where for once a year, they put on special events um, designed to reach out to people from diverse backgrounds. Wilfred, it's been fascinating to talk to you, and we haven't even got on to the subject of Morris dancing yet. All oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I have my passions, and Morris dancing is one of them. Uh, one of the things that I want to celebrate is the traditional things in, in our culture that sometimes um, gets forgotten. And um, these people who dedicate their time to keep our British traditions alive I want to offer them my support. It's interesting that one of your passions is promoting and continuing heritage and the the traditions, if you like, of the British countryside. And yet we need to change that in a way to improve farming and diversity, don't we? And I think that that's where sometimes people get confused. Because you want to change things doesn't mean you can't celebrate um, the traditions. It's about sort of evolving. And... Um, you're not going to really evolve unless you um, are able to attract people from diverse backgrounds to be part of uh, rural Britain. I mean, part of rural Britain is also celebrating those um, traditions. I'm not one that advocates that um, if you're going to bring about change, that means getting rid of um, um, traditions. It's about how those traditions evolve with the, the society that we, we now have. It's yeah. I suppose it's a, a the difference between revolution and evolution and educating and diversifying, isn't it? Exactly. 
And I just think evolution is always, always better than re- revolution. Um, and anybody could tell you that revolution causes major damage and doesn't necessarily bring us forward. And I just think that we should be encouraging um, uh, evolution rather than standing still. So revolution ain't good for you and standing still isn't good. It's about understanding in order to have a future, you have to continuously evolve, which means continuously changing. Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, MBE, Black Farmer. It's been fascinating speaking to you this morning. Thanks very much for joining us on the Farming Programme. Thank you very much for having me. And if you want to know more about Wilfred's story, visit theblackfarmer.com. Time to head to the markets now, starting with livestock from Louth auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. This week's weekly roundup from Louth, starting with the prime cattle, which sees steers sell to a top of 259 pence per kilo and gross £1,654.40 for JS Brooks of Strubby, while the heifers top at 248 pence per kilo and gross £1,386 for J.E. Thirlby of Kexby. Steers all in average 245.82 pence per kilo, heifers all in average 238.85 pence per kilo. Moving on to the sheep, slightly quieter in numbers in the lambs to start with, however a stronger trade for all goods on offer, with those best ended fed continental lambs remaining the easiest to place and lamb being one of the dearest markets on the week. An SQQ of 264.3 pence per kilo, with an all-in average of 258.23 pence per kilo. Top goes to G and DM Housem of Stickford at £135 per head for some handy-awaited lambs, while GW Allison C41 kilo sell to a top of 310 pence per kilo. Moving on to the cool ewes, slightly more on offer this week, and a slightly better average to leave the ewes to all-in average at £89.30, slightly up on the week with a top for R and SJ Pickering, of £148 for cool ewes, while cool rams topped at £120. Finally, just store lambs, an all-in average of £79 per head, with a top for K McDougall of Aswoodby at £86 per head. These, it must be mentioned, were pulled from the prime section, just not carrying enough flesh. Sheep and cattle can be sold to vendors' advantage weekly. Tomorrow, Bank Holiday Monday, will be a sale of prime and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep, with all sections requiring numbers to meet by demand. So please do not hesitate to contact me to discuss all marketing options. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. And with a grey market review, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The EU wheat exports continue to set an impressive pace, which could leave Russia in a sticky situation. If the Russians have a large crop, many believe there will need to be a raid rate of exports from the Black Sea with significant discount offers to capture the market share at the cost of the European exporters. Historically, French wheat has always been the most competitive and attractive to North African countries, which may be starting to change. Outside of an international tender yesterday, we saw the Russian wheat dropping into Egypt at a $20 discount to a suggested French offer. Contrary to supply, a large question mark sticks alongside forward demand. Increasing concerns over rising inflation, the UK reaches a 10% rise in the cost of goods and living, with the current forecast hit 18% by City and other large investment banks. Such news, coupled with the GDP growth figures of minus 2.6% in China, 0.9% in the US and a measly 0.6% in the EU, the three largest global economies, reflect the slowing output, which will affect the commodity basket and create a risk-off strategies for the traders. Despite some ups and downs on wheat futures this week, malting barley prices have remained unchanged. With the spring malting barley harvest complete, movement is now imperative and most growers have a surplus which won't fit in their stores and has to be sold and moved quickly. 
We are hoping to commence our export program in September. To some extent, that depends on the European inland waterways having sufficient rainfall as a lot of our malting exports have to be transshipped via Rotterdam. Malting premiums continue to narrow, particularly in the south, when feed barley improves, but the headline malting price stays the same. Oilseed rape this week. We have seen firmer rapeseed prices supported by higher Chicago soybeans and good domestic demand. Monday saw Matif rapeseed turn around, closing up for the first time in seven sessions. On Tuesday, Matif was further supported by firmer Chicago on the back of poor pod counts and the Pro Farmers Midwest crop tour. However, on Wednesday, rapeseed lost ground due to profit taking. Fundamentals remain the same though, with attention on weather and the US soybean crop potential. So prices this week, feed wheat for September 245 to 253. November 248 to 254, February 252 to 260, and May 254 to 263. Milling wheat premiums are circa £45. Feed barley for September is 228 to 236, November 230 to 236, February 230 to 240, and May 233 to 243. Orseed rape September 495 to 502, November 500 to 508, February 503 to 511, and May 506 to 514. Thanks to Kit and Louth Livestock Markets' Oliver Chapman, both back next week. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Another mostly dry, mostly cloudy, high-pressure week on the way. We may see some light rain this afternoon, cloudy skies all day, light easterlies and temperatures around 21 Celsius. The wind, such as it is, will back slightly to be from the northeast tomorrow, but still only just hitting double figures MPH. Cloudy, dry and slightly cooler, with highs in the upper teens. Much the same on Tuesday, if a couple of degrees cooler, and there is light rain forecast for Wednesday, a little more of a breeze from the northeast and highs staying in the upper teens. The end of the week looks a couple of degrees warmer, again mostly dry, the wind picks up from the east, and some light rain can't be ruled out. Well, that's it for this week. Back next Sunday from 7am when we'll get to know Lizzie Wilson, the new chief exec of the National Pig Association. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.